I want to talk to you about when buried things bury you. When buried things bury you. And in the 1995 uh, movie Jumanji, I, mean, I don't know if you, how many have seen the 1995 movie Jumanji. Uh, it was pretty popular uh, back in the day. The story goes basically like this, that there was a young kid who had it out with his father. They had some issues they were going through, and, and basically the absence of his father caused hatred in him uh, towards his father. And basically through this time, he be- in that moment on, that, on the clip of the movie, he, he hears the drum beating of something buried deep within, and he goes, he digs it out, and he finds this game, and the game basically takes him to this jungle. Where in this jungle, it was the a hunter was chasing him and trying to kill him. But in that in that game, that in that jungle, that hunter was the image of his father. And if you really think about the movie, what it was really saying is that the buried thing really wasn't the game. The buried thing was that he had hatred for his father, and that hatred was trying to kill him the entire movie. And at the end of the movie, they make amends. The game ends, and all that kind of stuff happens. But ultimately, it was a buried thing that was trying to bury him. The hatred of his father really was the very thing he uncovered that day and not the game. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. We're in a series called When We Fail at Together because buried things bury us. When we fail, we fail together. When we win, we win together. When you fail as a church family, uh, we fail together. When we fail as a family, we fail together. And buried things will bury you, and they will bury us. In James chapter 1, James reminded his church, he said, Hey, but if you know this, but each one, when you're tempted and you're carried away and enticed, you're enticed by your own lust. And when that lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He says, don't be deceived. That sin deceives and it conceives. And then it brings forth death. It starts with deception and then it births something. It conceives something and it ultimately leads to death And it's unfulfilled desire. That's ultimately what we're talking about today, that unfulfilled desire deceives and conceives. An unfulfilled desire can kill you. We think about the word covet. In the 10th commandment, we say, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's donkey. Well, we don't have a whole lot of issues with coveting donkeys today, but the word covenant, covet, actually means to desire something of someone else. It's that displaced unfulfilled desire that causes us to want things others have. For instance, you can desire relationships, you can desire possessions, you can desire even people themselves. And those things deceive and conceive and bring forth death. And it's been said, uh, there's popular songs and books and everything that says there's a God-sized hole. How many people heard this before? There's a God-sized hole on the inside of you. There's all kinds of lyrics of songs about it. But the idea comes from that garden moment where Adam and Eve had this breath of God in them, but when they fell, they were displaced and disconnected from God. And inside of them, there's this emptiness, this hole. In all of us, there's this emptiness in this hole. There's this place where things can be buried. And the flesh desires to fill that buried hole, that emptiness, with all the wrong things. But when we become a Christian, guess what happens? That Jesus begins to fill us, and Jesus completes it. He provides the victory, and he fills us on the inside. And the problem, though, is sometimes as Christians, we like to keep a few buried things even after salvation. 
We like Jesus to fill us and save us, but we often keep a few buried things on the inside to fill any unfulfilled desire we have left. But you know, uh, what's deep inside you really matters. What's deep inside you affects how you build relationships. It affects how you make decisions. What's deep inside you, it affects what you do and what you don't do. And every buried thing always affects someone else. It's even been said that you never sin alone. You never sin alone. For instance, a secret moral failure on the inside of us is often going to come out. It's going to affect our family, our spouse, our children. Divorce happens. It doesn't just affect the couples. It affects the kids. Uh, when a teenager falls into drugs and goes into addiction and starts stealing money, it doesn't just affect the teenager and their own physical body. It affects the emotional toll and financial toil on the whole family. It doesn't, you never, ever sin alone. When we fail, we fail together. And one person's buried thing can cause a whole family to fail, and one person's buried thing can cause a whole church family to fail as well. When a pastor falls, the church falls. When a husband falls, the family falls. And when you and I fall, it affects every single person around us, even those people you may or may not even know. You can go through the, the history books, and even today, the church world is dealing with a huge moral failure of, of one of its greatest apologetic leaders, whether you've seen it in the news or not. The question is, is there something buried that God has banned? Is there some place in your heart where there's something unfulfilled that Christ desires to fulfill and fill in you? Because buried things will bury you. Let's look in Joshua chapter 7. I'm going to talk to you about tent trouble. Joshua chapter 7. Let me give you the background to Joshua chapter 7. If you're in Joshua 7, somebody say amen. Okay, Joshua chapter 7. We have just followed Joshua into the new season of the people of God, the children of Israel. Moses has died and gone to heaven, and, and we've crossed this Jordan River. For our, we've never, we didn't cross the Nile River or the Red Sea uh, with the first generation. Now we're a new generation. We, we're crossing our own rivers. We're about to take our own territory. And we come to the very first moment. It's Jericho, the first city, the biggest city in the whole land. Man, and God is about to lead us to victory. And you know the kid's story. They walk around the city all week long, and the last day they walk around it seven times, they shout with trumpets, and, and they give the shout, and then the walls of Jericho fall down, and they go in, and they take the city. And there's a, often a part of this story we don't tell our kids, because it's not in the kids' books, but in Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, as these people simply obeyed the Lord and walked by faith, that's what led them to victory, they simply obeyed the Lord and walked by faith, God says to them, he says, Everything in this city belongs to me. He says, don't covet what you see inside the city. This city's cursed. He said, There's, you're going to see things in this city. When you come into the walls of Jericho, and I give you complete victory, you should walk by faith and not by sight. You should walk by faith. Obey my word. I'm going to give you victory by my grace alone through your faith in my word. Same way it comes for me and you today in salvation. And he says, but when the walls fall down, do not covet what I've purchased from for this city. Don't covet what I've won the battle over. Don't covet the things you see on the inside. There are some things on the inside of this city that are going to be dedicated to the Lord. They're going to go to my treasury, my temple. That's going to be the spoils of my victory, the gold and the silver and all, the, uh, all those artifacts. They're going to my treasury. Then there's things you're going to destroy. 
Some things will be dedicated. Some things will be destroyed. They win the battle. They get the, 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 the victory over uh, Jericho, and they go to the next town, and the next town is just a, a small hill village. It's, it, Jericho's this huge walls. They said you could ride carts around the walls. I mean, thick, thick monumental walls. Nobody could ever defeat Jericho. They win this huge battle, and they go to the next little town up on a hill, and here's what happens. In Joshua 7, verse 1, it says this. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. Who? All the sons of Israel in regards to the thing under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, note how he lists every single person who's head of that family, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against who? The sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. So the men went up, spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, don't let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Don't make all the people toil up there. It was on a mountain, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So Joshua turns to God and he bows down and he fasts and he gets everything. He humbles himself and he calls the elders and they pray. And guess what the Lord says? He says, the people of God have stolen and lied to me. The people of God, not just, he didn't say one guy. He didn't say the name. He said, the whole camp is at fault. The entire camp, he says, I will not go with you any forward. This whole place, you're all going to fall to defeat because I'm not going to be able to go with you unless you destroy what's supposed to be destroyed and dedicate what's supposed to be dedicated to me. And here's what happens. Joshua prays and they cast holy lots. They had, the priests had these two little dice-like things that they used to discern the will of the Lord. And they cast the lot and they bring the 12 heads of the 12 tribes out and it falls to Judah. Then they go in Judah and they bring all the clan heads of all the clans of the tribe of Judah. And they come to this one clan. Then in that clan they bring all the families, the family names of all that clan out and they choose this one family name. And then they go to that family and they choose all the husbands. And finally it comes to a man named Achan. And Joshua begins to plead with Achan. Achan, would you please tell us why we are defeated as the family of God. And here's what happens. Joshua 7, verse 20. So Achan answered to Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, which is Babylon, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of 50 shekels in weight, I coveted them. Look, he coveted, he saw, he coveted, and then he took. He coveted, then he took, and behold, they are concealed in the earth beside my t inside my tent with the silver. Note this, the silver underneath it. What do they do? They take Achan and his whole family. They take his, him, his dog, his cat, his sheep, his goats. If he had camels, they took them, the tents, everything he took. They took him and his wife and his kids. They took them out. They stoned them to death. They burned them with fire. And then they buried them under a rubble. Because buried things will bury you. Buried things will bury you. They named that whole valley Trouble, Acre, from the name Achan. They changed his name to mean one who troubles. And they buried him in the valley of trouble. You see, 
at Jericho, there was a Joshua, and in your life, there's a Jericho and there's a Jesus. Let me tell you what that means. From the very beginning, their victory was to be purchased in Christ or in God alone. Same thing for you and for me. Each one of us, they just like these people, they came into this land, this journey was beginning for them, just like for you and for me. They would go through the waters of baptism by faith, through the, following the priesthood, following Joshua. And the word Joshua is the same word for Jesus. They would follow their Jesus through the waters of baptism, just like you and I do. By faith, we follow through a place that we can't go on our own. By faith, we follow our Jesus. And the first thing there is this moment that says there's obstacles between here and there. You want to go to heaven, they want to go to the promised land. And you and I can never get to the promised land unless we obey the word of God by faith. Somebody say amen. And it's never going to be by works that you do. It's never by works that you and I do. It's only by works of faith. The same is true for them. He said, if you'll just listen to my words and obey me, I'll provide the victory for you. It's nothing you can ever do. I'll give you the victory. And that sin, that Jericho, stood in the, again, there against them. And like we would come into the waters of baptism and we'd die with Christ, we'd come back up to new life. And that new life is only possible by following our Joshua, following our Jesus by faith. And what did God say? He said, if... I'll provide the victory, but you've got to walk in it. I'll provide the victory, <clears throat> but you've got to walk in it. There are some things that when I provide the victory, you will dedicate to me, and there are some things that you will destroy for me. There are some things that I have purchased, and the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.19 that you and I as Christians were redeemed or purchased with the precious blood of Christ. What does that mean? It means that everything inside the city has been paid for by his victory, that you no longer have the rights to own or attach yourself to anything inside the city. He said, that thing inside the city that I've paid for, that I've purchased, is mine. It's mean. I own that thing. Jesus has purchased the rights, listen to me, to your sin. You no longer have the right to sin any longer. He's paid for it. It's been purchased for. I have no longer the right to get angry over things that I want to get angry about. I no longer have the right to lust for things that I want to lust for. I have no longer the right to feel those emotions that I so long want to feel and get angry and unforgiveness and bitterness because he's paid for it. You understand me this morning? There are some things that inside that wall of sin, when he brings it down, they are his and for him alone. The problem becomes, though, when as Christians we begin to hold on to things that have already been paid for in Jesus Christ. We like to hold a few things back. We go through the baptism, we go to the altar, and we say, but you know, I really want to reserve the right to get angry when I want to get angry. I really want to reserve the right to hold that offense when I want to hold that offense. I really want to reserve the right. And Jesus says, but I've paid for that thing. And guess what? It's mine. Moses had told these people long before, he said, when you go into this land, if you begin to hold things back, if you begin to not give God victory in every area of your life, if you allow these things to live among you, guess what he told them? He said, if you do not do this, behold, you will have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Because they knew that buried, banned things will bury us. The question is, do you and I believe that Jesus deserves everything he's paid for? Does he deserve the right to tell me what I can and cannot have? 
what I can and cannot do, what I can and cannot feel. Sure, we're natural by sin. We feel certain ways. You, you hit my hand with a hammer, I'm going to feel something. That may be valid. Your feelings may be valid. But do I reserve the right to respond in the way that I want to? Or have I given up that right to Jesus Christ? You see, there's sometimes still unfulfilled desire on the inside where we haven't given him everything he's paid for. For instance, let me talk to you about burying the band. What's that unforbidden fruit that you and I deal with today, just like Achan? What's the unfulfilled things? Achan saw this Babylonian garment. He saw a few pounds of silver. He saw a pound of gold. And the Bible says he coveted it, and then he concealed it in the case. And I began to wonder, what in the world was this guy going to do with it? It's not like he could go down and trade it at the local market. I mean, they'd be like, Aiken, where'd you get this nice, fancy $3,000 robe at, bro? I mean, what you doing walking around with this? He couldn't wear it anywhere. What you going to do? What are you going to do with this thing? It's just going to go in the closet. And he'd be like... Aiken, how are you getting this money? We don't even use, we're trading on manna or something, bro. I mean, what are you, what's you doing flashing that gold around? Why are you going to use it? It's not that he could use it. Sometimes he might have just thought, you know what? Maybe if this whole Joshua God thing don't work, if this whole wandering through the wilderness thing don't work, I might need this for another day. I might need to save those things in case this situation don't work. I might need to save these things in case this marriage doesn't work. I might need to save these things in case this relationship doesn't work. I might need to, in case God doesn't come through for me, maybe I need to have a backup plan. And he says, nobody saw me, but God saw. I'm gonna give you a few things that why it was bad that he buried the band. The first was it showed that he had unfulfillment. The first is that he didn't trust God to provide his needs. It was surely self-reliance and self-fulfillment. By keeping these things for himself, he made this real statement that I hear so many times on social media today. Surely God wants me to be happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Surely God doesn't care if I take a little bit of this. I know it's not how I ought to act or ought to feel or ought to do. But don't you think, don't you think, Pastor, that God, He really wants me to be happy? And this makes me happy. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's what makes me happy in life. And the truth for Achan was, Achan, my friend, true happiness is in the Lord. True joy is in Jesus. True fulfillment is in Christ alone. Somebody say amen. It's not in the things that you can find in this world. I don't care how much you want to fill that empty hole inside of you. It's never going to fulfill you. It's never going to make you happy. You can try all the relationships and money and drugs and sex all you want for your entire life. You can go from thing to thing, from comfort, from palace to poverty. It will never fulfill you until you take in Jesus Christ all and in all. He was unfulfilled, and he showed God that, God, you don't fulfill me. Number two, he was blind. He desired what he saw, and then he took it. No doubt some people believe that that gold and silver uh, had the marks of stamps of idols on it. It's from their idolatry, probably from their temple, probably given to idols in worship. And it probably had stamps of other images on it. And Achan didn't see it for what is, man, that's going to be good for me. But what is it to God? How does God see that thing? You may think, oh, well, these movies are okay, or this talking is okay, or that feeling is okay, or these relationships are okay. Yeah, that's how you see it. But how does God see it? And what does it look like to him? Because he says that's something that is banned one thing to be dedicated one thing to be destroyed 
Some things when you get saved, you hold back and you give it to the Lord and say, God has delivered me from this thing. And that is an atmosphere of worship. Man, that thing is not in my possession anymore. That pornography or that lying or that adultery or that drug habit, those things, I don't do it anymore. But look, it's on the shelf. That's something God has got the victory over. And every time I go into the temple of God, I can see that thing and say, man, that battle belonged to the Lord. Amen? And there are some things that you destroy and we never turn back and look again. And that was that robe. That robe was to be something, some people believe that it was a priestly robe that maybe it was from Babylon and had this priestly uh, images on it and it symbolized that high priesthood of the, of the ancient other gods. And he looked at it and he saw it and he didn't see it for what it was. It was accursed. It was evil. It was unforgiving. And Jesus says and reminds us again and again that sin is serious and he says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than to go the whole body and thrown into hell. That's how serious sin is. Now, is that he's talking physically? No, but he's saying, I want you to get the gravity of how God sees sin. Why? Because God wants you to walk in victory. He wants you to win. Somebody say, I wanna win. Man, God wants you to win. He wants you to walk in victory and go from glory to glory, from victory to victory. God wasn't here to punish them. He was giving them victory over Jericho. He wanted to give them victory over AI. But they were blind to what that really was all about. The next was he became a thief and a liar. He stole the spoils from God. He lied to himself and then he began to cover it up. In fact, the Bible says that he was robbing God. How many times do I rob God from complete victory in my life? I rob God and say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, so, you know, nobody's perfect, right? And do we believe that maybe God can, maybe, I'm not, maybe I have a habitual lying, or maybe I'm a gossip or slander, and say, you know, I'm not perfect, I slip now and then, but, but has God given us complete victory, or has he not? Do we believe that everything is purchased for by Christ is owed to him, that that's his thing? And if I believe and walk by faith, that I believe victory in every area of my life can be possible, that it's not his issue, it's my issue. He's totally, how many believe Jesus is totally victorious over everything of sin? And I must believe that if I walk by faith and not by sight and I obey his word, then I will walk in victory. But do I cover it up? Aiken's tent looked like anybody else's on the top. Everybody's a Christian. Everybody looks perfect on the out. Every Facebook, everybody looks good. We got filters. And Instagram, we got filters. And we can look like a cat or a person or whatever you want to look like. You can look like it all. And everybody's tent looks good. But God knew. You see, there was levels of secrets under Achan's tent. And I, I, I never knew what that verse meant, that he placed the silver. He says, in my tent, there is the, the robe and the gold and the silver is underneath it. What does that mean? In my years of counseling couples and, and family issues, I've, I've come to find something out that if someone comes and I had, I had, I've had people come to me and say, hey, uh, you know, I committed adultery on my spouse. Would you counsel me? And, and they'll tell me it was just one kiss. And let me tell you, before long, it's not just one kiss. It was just one other talk and one other this and one other that. And there becomes layers. Why? Because sin deceives and it conceives. It always births more. It always births more. You see, there was silver was deeper than the rest. It had layers. And Achan was doing this. He thought, I believe this is what he thought. I believe he thought, well, if my wife is sweeping under the bed and she finds the robe, maybe she won't find the gold. Or if maybe one day they find the robe and the gold, 
Heaven forbid they find the silver because that silver will be there for the rainy day. They may find my email or my text or my phone call. They may find out I lied about them. My boss may find out I stole one little thing, but they'll not find this other thing. You see, Achan had layers of cover-up that God was about to expose. One day, layer by layer, was exposed. There are times in our lives we feel justified. We think, well, my spouse is not meeting my needs, so I deserve this. I deserve to look at this. I deserve to act this way. I deserve to respond this way. And ma'am and sir, your spouse will never fulfill your needs. That's just truth. My wife, Beth, will never fulfill all my needs as a man, and I'll never fulfill all her needs as a husband. Why? Because that's God's job. God is the one who fills that hole on the inside. And there may be times where we just have some addiction that we had in the past and we keep one little taste, one little touch. If I can just hold on this one thing, I can pull it out on a rainy day, on a stressful week, it's Friday. Can I just relax and just do this one little hit, one little touch, one little look, one little taste, just so I can have a little me time. Whatever little makes me happy, we call it a guilty pleasure. What you're really saying is, I keep something back for when God doesn't fulfill me. I keep something back for those moments when God doesn't fulfill me. But buried things will bury you. Remember what God told Cain? He said, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. You see, God really wasn't, he's not in the business of punishing people for no reason. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. What God was wanting to do is take this church family, this individual family, this family of God, to take them from glory to glory, from victory to victory, all the way to the promised land. Just like he wants to take you from the place that you're at all the way to the promised land of heaven. He wants to take you from victory to victory to victory. What does that mean though? You have to move forward with God. And I never got this until this last week. I was talking to Pastor Christian about it. That I never got really what God was trying to do and why it was such a bad thing. And Achan, you had buried it. You see, if the God's presence began to move, he said, hey, guess what? Let's pack up our tents. We're moving to the next town. We're going to go to the next town for victory, the next town for victory. What would Achan have had to do? Hold on just a minute, guys. Let me go uh, get a, sh what do you need a shovel for, Aiken? Uh, no, no reason. And he's over there digging real fast. Nobody sees the, 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 the robe. Let me put it in the trunk. My wife's not looking. My kids aren't looking. Nobody knows that I'm doing this. Let me dig this up and take it with me because there would be no way for Aiken to move forward when God says, I want to take you to a new place of victory. And the same is true in your life. Maybe there's something you're struggling with now and God wants to take your marriage, your finances, your relationship, your individual self-worth, your identity to another place of victory, but he can't move forward with you if there are buried things. Why? Because you have to dig them up. You see, sometimes in a marriage even, what would normally be a small rocky patch that you could get through you say, well, we came through Jericho, man. We, have, we, can, we can come through that big spot in our marriage or our relationship. We can make it through anything. No, not if there's buried things. You see, AI was supposed to be an easy win. If you can win Jericho, how do you get defeated with AI? Because there's buried things. 
You see, that one little rocky patch that comes up in a marriage after years of buried things, what looked like should have been an easy win will be a horrible defeat because all those buried things begin to bury you. What looks like you should be able to win in that one area of your life, to overcome that one flirtation, that one adulterous affair, that one little temptation to steal, that one little lie, you should have had total victory over in a moment that one thing could be the thing that pulls that stone out and all of it comes crumbling down. See, you can either move forward with God or you'll go under. I look back and I wonder if Achan had no accountability in his life. I wonder if some soldier had perhaps seen Achan stuffing that robe, you know, in, in his coat. Or, Achan, why is your pants leg like 300 pounds, dude? What you doing trying to get on your horse? What, what? wonder if any of his friends had noticed, and husbands and wives, I wonder if you've noticed any of your friends, any of your church family, any of your family members, you have a hint that something's going wrong in their life, but we never say anything. You see, when God ordered this ban, he didn't order just to one family. And when God convicted the whole troop, he didn't just deal with one family. Because when we fail, we fail together. When we fail as a church family, we're going to fail together. When you fail, I fail. When you win, I win. You see, we want every family in our church to win. We want every relationship, and we want your children to win. We want you and your spouse to win. We want your in-laws to win. We want all of us to make it to the promised land called heaven. We want to follow Jesus every day by faith from victory to victory, but it means being accountable to one another, sharing with one another, confessing with one another, and saying, hey, I've missed you lately. Hey, you've got some weird posts on Facebook. What's going on? Hey, how can we help you and spur you on? to victory. And I wonder if it was small compromises in Achan's life. Maybe he took for granted God's victory. You know, my little thing, maybe it was a big old treasury. Maybe when he walked into that temple in Jericho, maybe he was the guy that bust through the temple. Maybe there was millions and millions of dollars. And he thought, you know, it's just a few things of silver, just a few things of gold, just one roll. There was thousands of rolls there, Pastor. I mean, what's my one little thing going to do and cause problems in the people of God? What's this one little sin going to do? But sin, when it gives birth, it deceives, it conceives, and it brings forth death. And lastly, it creates a hard heart. Nowhere in the story do we find Achan going to the funerals of the 36 men who lost their lives to defeat. Not one time in that story do we see that he was remorseful for the to the wives of those, he, his brothers in arms that he lost their lives for. And we don't ever see Achan in the moment that God is probably, and I believe in God's grace, was waiting for that moment of confession. Tribe of Judah. Man, if he would have just ran out at the very beginning, I think God would have forgiven him and repented and he fell before Joshua. But he waited. In fact, it says he waited for his clan, his tribe, his clan, his family, for all the husbands to come forth. And then Joshua got right up in his face and said, pleaded, it says he pled with him, would you please, please tell us why we're all defeated? Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. God wanted to take them forward into his promise, but Achan buried something. His sin took root, 
And the only way to move forward would be to dig it up. He would either move forward or he would fail. You know, when you're hungry, you bit about you don't go to Walmart hungry. Why? You buy the whole story, right? When you're hungry, you'll pretty much eat anything. But when you're full, you only want good things. And the same is true for that little hole on the inside of us. When you're totally empty and nothing has been fulfilling you lately, your marriage isn't fulfilling you, your finances aren't fulfilling you, your family relationships aren't fulfilling you, your church isn't even fulfilling you, you'll take in anything to fill that void. But when Jesus is there and he fills all and in all and through all and you find complete satisfaction in him, it doesn't matter if my spouse doesn't meet my needs this week or my boss doesn't meet my needs this week or my church pastor and family doesn't meet my needs and care for me and do all the things I think my church family should do because I'm fulfilled in Christ and that's all I need. Everything else I get to serve and serve others because Christ is all and in all. And Paul told his church in Ephesians, and I'll close with this, he said, you can be drunk with wine, that's drunkenness, that's dissipation, but you can really be filled and continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what it's all about. Why? Because God is not here to punish you. He's here to take you from victory to victory, from glory to glory. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Worship team, would you come? Is there any area of our lives that is not fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Is there any area that God has told me he's purchased and is off limits, but I've been holding on to? And I'm guilty as anybody else in this room. There is not one person in this room who is uh, innocent of charges like this. Aiken is an illustration to all of us, even the best of us, especially pastors and leaders. Because it's so easy to be deceived when we have areas in our life that are unfulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that, that, that thing wants to take root. It wants to destroy you. And God wants you to see it for what it is. He wants it out of there. And you could dedicate it to Him and say, God, I thank you that you fulfilled this area of my life, that you're meeting that need. You give it to worship. And you say, God, I thank you for purchasing that victory in Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for fulfilling that area that nobody else could fulfill. I thank you, Lord, that you are my all and in all. And wherever you are and wherever you're at, I'm not going to embarrass anyone this morning, but you know exactly right now, this is the moment where God is going house to house, door to door, and he's calling us out. And right now, I, I just want you to be honest and open with him, that you could just be open with him like Achan wasn't open with Joshua. And you can just say, Jesus, I confess that area of my life that's been buried. I confess that inner need, that, that place maybe where your mom or dad never told you they loved you or maybe that spouse that isn't as intimate as they should be or maybe that place of financial security you're not at yet and you just have been trusting in so many other things, worried about so many things. It could be an endless list of things for all of us in this room. We all have some place. But today, you can make the choice and say, Jesus, fill me and fulfill me. Be my everything. Be my all in all. And I believe that God is going to take your family to victory. He's going to take our church family to victory. And we're going to go from glory to glory. Man, we're going to be shouting hallelujah in our marriages, in our finances, in our children, and in this church because God wants you to win. He wants you to win. I want you to win. So let's just begin to do that right now. Father, 
We just confess our dependency on you, Jesus. Lord, we confess our sin before you, that we know that it is a wicked and evil thing, and we want to turn from that thing and turn to you. Lord, I want you to fulfill our marriages, fulfill our finances, fulfill our relationships, fulfill our, our, our jobs and our careers. God, fulfill those places of harm that has been done to us, things that we think we need that we don't deserve because you've paid the price for those things. And God, if we try to fill those holes with other things, God, we'll never move forward. So Lord, dig up anything, even way down, maybe things we buried years ago, we've forgotten about, past hurts and past offenses. And we can say, Lord, I offer this back to you. It was yours to begin with. You paid the price for it on Calvary. You won the victory. You've nailed that thing and killed it. So Lord, we worship you from where you stand in victory. And we want to walk with you to the next place of victory in our life, oh God.